name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. It's very good to be with you today, and especially for this retreat, to try to figure out where we are in life, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. You know, if you look at the pace of life that we have these days, you'll realize that a lot's going on. A lot happens. And we don't pay enough attention to why we're doing things and what impact they might have on us and on others. So why, why do we do what we do? And I think that is a question we all need to ask ourselves quite often. We get into patterns, we get into ways of doing things. You'll wake up in the morning and the first thing you'll do, I hope it isn't, but the first thing you'll probably do is you pick up your phone and look at things, right? And you probably have a way of looking at things in a particular order. So you'll probably check, I don't know, your, your, your news feed, your, your, your WhatsApps, your messages, your emails, whichever order you have based on where importance is. And then maybe you'll make yourself a cup of coffee or, or maybe, maybe you'll you know, pick up your Bible, or maybe you'll pick up your Agbeya, or maybe you'll call a friend or say good morning to a friend on text. Why do we do these things? And I suppose before we get to the question of why we do things, it may be good for us to understand who we are, because who we are and what makes us tick will make us make particular decisions. We are the image and likeness of God. We are his creation. We are his handiwork. We are those whom he created out of love. And we are those who, after we had fallen, had enough grace in his eyes for God to have left his kingdom and come into this world in our form to save us. So we are loved. We are loved from the beginning. We are loved today and we will always be loved we are loved by a god who created us and gave us the most valuable thing in himself his image his likeness and we are loved that when we fell he took what was defiled of ours our image so that he could come and save us in the incarnation and during these days we're in the fast of the nativity. We're preparing ourselves for the commemoration of the incarnation, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, God in the world. And I suppose if we look, we, we can try to find how this starts. And I want to focus on a passage that you all know, probably off by heart, from the beginning of the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verse 1. So if you want to have a look at it, on your devices, you actually have a Bible? Wow, good, I like it. Um, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, 
And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. I think if we were just to focus on that passage, it would give us an incredible insight into who God is. First and foremost, God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when we look at who God is in our lives, we can interact with any or all of those persons of God. And you think, well, why would God present himself as Trinity? In a nutshell, and in all honesty, I don't know, and neither does anybody else. So if anybody tells you they know, they're lying. But what we can do is try to ascertain why it might be. In my mind, first and foremost, he gives us these three persona, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so that in interacting with him, we can have different ways of doing so. We can have different ways of trying to understand who he is and how that makes a difference. Some of us, when we're praying, will want to speak to interact with God the Father, God our Creator, God the one who loves us, God the one who looks upon us from on high. We read the Psalms and the see David's experience of God and that's the one we want. That's the one we want to understand. And so we, we interact that way. Sometimes we are lacking a father figure in our lives and so when we deal with God the Father, he fills that void. Sometimes we have a negative image of a father figure in our lives. And so when we deal with him, it restores our faith. And so on and so forth. So that is sometimes what we want, need to do. Sometimes we want to deal with someone who is more identifiable. You know, we see the icons of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is great debate as to whether he was fair with blonde hair and blue eyes. Maybe not. But we have an image. Based primarily on the impression on the shroud, but then artists have taken that image and have presented in different ways. So sometimes when I deal with God, I want to deal with someone who I think I can see. Someone I can relate to and associate with. Someone who walked on this earth, who experienced what I experienced in joy and sadness, success and failure, fellowship and betrayal. All of these things that he experienced on a daily basis, and sometimes I experience, I think, well, if our Lord went through that and did that, then what do I do? Sometimes it comforts us to be able to deal with him as the incarnate word, God in flesh. So that I can see the journey he walked and follow in his footsteps. So that I know that in his footsteps, although there may be a betrayal and a sham trial and a crucifixion and a death and a tomb, 
there is resurrection. And sometimes I may want to deal with God, the Holy Spirit, the one who abides in us, who for us as Orthodox Christians we have received in the sacrament of chrismation, who is not only an energy but God himself abiding inside us, who is never far away, never distant, even if we have a a problem thinking that God is in his kingdom somewhere, we know for a fact as the Holy Spirit who empowers and enables us, he abides inside us. And we call upon him sometimes because we need him. And so who is God in that trinity? I think it it is because he gives us the opportunity to deal with whomever we want in the trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or intermittently at different times based on how we're feeling and what we need. The other reason I think maybe there's a trinity is to show us the importance of cooperation. That the Trinity, although three, is actually in one. That we, although many, are in one body of Christ with our Lord Jesus Christ as our head. That we are always working together, praying together, supported by one another, focusing on each other. So in the beginning was the Word. If we're going to talk about God the Father and God the Son, they were there. And the Holy Spirit was also there. He was there from the very beginning. He was there with God, because he was God. And so when you hear lots of thoughts about our Lord Jesus Christ being just a saintly man, almost being another disciple, another apostle, another evangelist, we say, no, 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 no. What makes us Christians is believing that our Lord Jesus Christ is God in flesh. And that is undeniable, irrefutable, not open for discussion whatsoever. His presence, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, his presence is a historical proof of the presence of the incarnate word. Historically, people will tell you, yes, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, existed. He was a reality. And so if we believe that historians say, yes, he's a reality, then we also believe, as Christians, that he was the incarnate word, God who came to the world to save us. We're also reminded that all things were made through him, and nothing was made that was not made through him. Nothing. In our own lives, when we assess our lives at the moment, we look at our successes and our failures. We are more than happy to ascribe our failures to God and say, God, why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? Why do these bad people get their way? Why, do, why are my prayers not heard? We'll always blame him for things like that. But then when we get things right, oh, just because I'm gifted, because I get it right, I'm, I'm good. We don't give thanks, we don't appreciate, we don't love. All things were made through him and nothing was made that was not made through him. Nothing. Which means our good and our bad. Now he doesn't take credit for our bad, 
but we were just created. And we have our negativity and we have our weaknesses. But he's still there to support us through them. He's there to lift us up when we fall. Take our hands when we feel a little bit lost. To empower us when we feel weak. All of that. And then we go on to verse 4, which says, In him was life. There is no life outside of God. There is living, there is being alive, but there is no life outside of him. In him was life. We can try to live our lives in many, many ways. And we make choices every day. Today you made a choice to be here. This morning you made a choice to wake up on time. Or not. You'll make choices during the day today of what to speak about, who to speak with, what to share, what not to share, how to carry yourselves. Tomorrow, day after, day after, day after that. You will make choices. We will make choices. I make choices. I would love to think that I always make the right choice, but I know that I don't. Just as I know that when you think about the choices you make, you will realize that they're not always the right choice. If we make our choice about life rather than about living, then our choices will always revolve around the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. They may not always have the Christian message or Christian element to them. They may not have the word Jesus Christ painted across them. But they will carry the understanding and the ethos and the spirit of being Christ-like. I was speaking with someone just a couple of days ago who was speaking about the church generally in an interview. And what is it that the church should be doing during these days? And my reflection was that the church needs to be a manifestation of God at the moment. Everyone is going through difficult times, whether it's geopolitics, whether it's cost of living crisis, whether it's energy crisis, uh, the things that we encounter on a daily basis. And you know, it's, it's good to say, oh, that stuff is just on the news. We know it's not just on the news. We know it's impacting people. We know, we know it'll impact you and impact people you know. We know that. But because all that is happening, what the church needs to be is a manifestation of God is a presence of the hope of God in the world. An understanding that in him is life. When you go the week after next to City Mission, all of you who are involved with City Mission, our homeless ministry, I think it's on the 20th, something, I'll look at the date. 16th? But there's an all-day event where you can go and serve the homeless. And because it's Christmas, it's time when they can feel a sense of family and community. You're not going to preach the gospel each and every one of them through your words, but through your love and through your actions and through your example, our Lord Jesus Christ will be there. He will be giving them their plate of food, but through your hands. He will be giving them a comforting word through your mouth. He'll be expressing his love 
through your smile. You become a manifestation of Him in the world. And that's what's important. In Him is life. And so we become vehicles of that message. Ladies and gentlemen, we should never just be spectators in this world. Never. We're not always going to do everything, and we can't do all things, but don't ever just be a spectator. Look at your gift, look at your vehicle, look at your opportunity, look at what you can do, and do it. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, because I look across the room and know that so many of you are involved in so many things already. But it's so important for us to be doing that. It's so important for us to know that in Him is life. And so when we project Him into the world, we project life into the world. People are living everywhere. But do people have life in Him? We are living. But do we have life in Him? We are fortunate through our tradition, through our church, being Coptic Orthodox, having a sacramental life, that when you gather around the altar tomorrow, even if it's in this hall, even if it's on a normal table, when you have the altar board, and you have the prayers, and you have the liturgy, and Abuna is standing there, and officiating, through your presence together, and through the presence of the sacrament in the priest, and in the sacrament itself, life is with you. You become a conduit of that life because you partake of it and then you share it. When you live a godly life, it's not just for you. It's for everyone around you who can see it. Let's face it, if you're going to a party and Christmas is here and you're going to dress up nicely, you can say, I'm just dressing for myself, right? Which is, which is true in certain cases, in many cases, but there is always an element of dressing for other people because you want them to see how you're dressed. Even if it's no vanity about it, even if it's just being you know, presentable, it's about how people see you. So when you live, it's never just about you, it is about how people see you. When you do something, it's not just about you, it's about how people see you. When you speak your word or make your gesture, express life, express love, it's not just about you, but it's about people seeing the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and Him as life in you. And the life was the light of men. And room. What does that mean? In him was life and life was life of men. We've all read that thousands of times probably. We were living in darkness for generations. When we were first created in paradise, not only was there light, but imagine this. God walked through the garden with Adam and Eve. Now, how incredible is that? 
Move generations, thousands of years later, when Moses wants to see God, he goes up a mountain, fast for 40 days, puts his face to the ground, covers himself, and merely his shadow comes over him, and when he gets up and comes down to the people of Israel, his face is shining so brightly that they can't look at him. That's just by being exposed to his shadow when he was lying flat on the ground with his face to the ground, covered. Imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve to have been walking in the garden with God. And then they fell. In the world, the light went out. They were no longer with God. And we lived with the lights out for generations. You would have your torches that you sort of navigated with. You would have the prophets and the kings and the righteous men and women. Messages coming through, trying to navigate the darkness however you could. But God, looking upon us, kept looking at us stumbling and falling through this darkness. And in the fullness of time said, enough. Enough. It is time for light to be restored. It is time for life to be restored. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So when he came and dwelt among us, that darkness was broken. And we were once more living in light, because he was there. But then we go on to say, and the light shines in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it. You know when you walk into a room and suddenly there's a bright light, what do you do straight away? You just close your eyes or you cover your eyes. Right? That's exactly what happens here. We're living in darkness, suddenly you walk into a lit room and it's bright. So we close our eyes, we cover our eyes. The light, the, the world did not comprehend it. What is this light? What is this light? How do we deal with it? How do we make sense of it? How do we live in it? How do we open our eyes to it? And when you're in that situation, you open your eyes close, slowly. And you sort of let the light in slowly. And you let your eyes adjust until you're able to have your eyes open. And that's why we become exposed to him slowly, gradually. In him is life. And that life was a light of men. And the light dwelt, and, may I say, dwells in the darkness. Now we can always read this in the past tense and say, the darkness did not comprehend it. What I want to say to you now is, until now, the darkness still does not comprehend it. We still walk around with our eyes closed. Because we just, either because we don't want to see it, or because our eyes aren't able to interact with it. Or in some cases, I don't know if this has happened to you, where your, your, your room becomes so cluttered and so messy that you don't want to see it. So you keep the lights off. You walk in, you tiptoe through, you learn to navigate the mess, you learn, you learn to step over the boxes, right? And, 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 and navigate the piles of paper. I'm looking at the fathers, because we all go through this, right? You get stuff all over the place, or you as students, when you've got books or... Do you still use books? 
Anyway, again, so 90s, what I'm talking about. But the tragedy is, even without books, you're able to still create clutter. So at least we had an excuse. So you keep the light off. And you navigate the mess, and you walk out, and you say, I'll fix it another day. I'll come back to this. Because when you turn the light on, or when you open your eyes, you see the mess. Now I can tell you, one of the biggest blessings I had at the beginning of COVID lockdown was the fact that I didn't go anywhere for a long time. And my study was an absolute mess. It just had piles of paperwork and books and and things and you know all the stuff you say I'll put away later just everything and by turning the light on and then being able to stay in one place for long enough one of the things I did back then and by God's grace because I did it back then well and put things into place it's still tidy because I said I'm never going through that again because I don't want another lockdown so if this is God's way of tidying up my study Okay, let's just keep it tidy. It's still there, it's still tidy. So opening up our eyes and seeing the light, and that light exposing life, is something we all need. And when we see the clutter in our lives, and we all have clutter, we all have clutter. But when we see that clutter, we're able to fix it, and arrange it, and then work slowly but surely to let it not pile up again. But the beauty of confession and repentance, the beauty of the sacraments we have, is that even when we clutter a little bit or we fall again, we can go to Abuna and say, I've made a mistake. I'm repentant. And I want to confess. And then partake of the Eucharist. And then we can start again. And so the beauty of all of this is that our God is with us. Who is he? He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit. In these days in particular, as we prepare ourselves to receive the incarnate Word and the Feast of the Nativity, we know that in Him is life. And He is light. And He is with us today. So let's give thanks for that. Let's rejoice in it. Let us be thankful for the fact that not only in him is life, but he has come to give us that life. And this is why in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 10, he says that he has come that we may have life and more abundantly. It is no longer about living. It is about life. In him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And that is what we prepare ourselves for. And that is what we live. And that is what enables us to walk in this world with our eyes open, in the light, to see him, to glorify him, to give thanks to him and for him, and to be his reflection into a world that needs him. That in living in those steps and living in that light, we may become his disciples his children, his ambassadors, his manifestation in the world. That with time, over time, the world may see that light that shines in it 
and over time, not only comprehend it, but believe it, accept it, and have it as its hope in the life that is promised and to come. And glory be to God. Well.